Hello and welcome to the CCW6 podcast. I am Rob Hyde, joined with joined today with my uh, co-host Phil Naiman and a special guest today out in Illinois, Mickey Shook from CarryTrainer.com. Uh, Mick, thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am anxiously awaiting a little training that you've got going on next week out in Nashville, in the Nashville, Tennessee area, uh, your S12 conference. Uh, And for those that aren't aware of this kind of stuff, why don't you kind of tell them a little bit about the full meal deal that they get through this training? Yeah, would love to. I'm excited to have you out there too. We, we created the program about five years ago. It's a uh, kind of a cohesive effort with about 10 dudes of various backgrounds from Green Beret medics to uh, some firefighter paramedics, to some coppers, to some high-level fighter BJJ guys. And we bring everybody on site to this private 450-acre retreat out in Nunley, which is about an hour outside of Nashville, beautiful hills of Tennessee, and house the guests and feed them. We've got a chef that comes out from uh, Wyoming, Colorado area, and we bring about 500 pounds, something like that, of uh, Colorado craft beef out there. And uh, over the course of four and a half, five days, we have about 40 plus hours of training that culminates in live fire TCCC exercises. So the students are training handguns, open hand uh, combative skills, and uh, some medical stuff, as well as like you'll be presenting on some uh, lawful and ethical use of force uh, uh, concepts. We've got some breath work and like health and wellness stuff. So it's Unlike a lot of conferences or uh, events in this space where folks show up and they like round robin through different instructors or uh, classes, everything is cohesive. So, uh, for example, in the morning, we do some calisthenics and it's not to be militaristic or to smoke people. It's because we're going to have a long training day and we don't want to have people get injured that are not Uh, maybe used to that type of of activity. And so even something as simple as having them get on the ground on their butt to do some calisthenics, we teach them a technical get up like you would learn in in, uh, MMA or jujitsu or other fighting arts, because we're going to use that later on the range. So everything kind of dovetails together uh, so that it's not just a run around in circles and go learn from this guy for an hour and learn from that guy. It's pretty cool. So there, there's a method. It's a system that kind of dovetails together. And uh, do you guys do any uh, uh, retention or. So we dig into the, we dig into some concepts because we've only got 40 hours. So these students are, getting a national TCCC certificate, the same one that a uh, U.S. Army soldier or a copper would get. It's the, it's the full course. It's not a truncated version of it. We're doing that. We're doing the uh, pistol work and, and some other stuff. We can expose them to it. So, hey, here's why you might want to think about holding the gun this way. Or when we're doing some of the open hand stuff, uh, what we're trying to give them an exposure to is the concept of why distance is important or why uh, just because you have a gun, it doesn't matter because our friend Z Durham, who's a fifth group SF guy, him and Paul Sharp teach the class. I always point at Z and I go, okay, you can draw your gun on Z and you're probably going to shoot him two or three times and he'll still kill you. (laughs) And that's, you know, and that's the, that's the, kind of connection point for people these guys with some blue guns or just being in close proximity to a guy like paul or z or yourself that has a high level of grappling skills people think i've got this weapon on me i can do things and somebody that knows how to put hands on another human does that to them they've never felt that and they realize quickly like good god this person can do whatever they want to me and I can do nothing and now next thing you know they're staring up at the ceiling or the sky and of course it's all playful but 
it exposes them really to the need to go train. And I think so many of these classes, I don't want to get too long winded and take up all your guys airtime, but uh, so many of these classes where we try to teach everything, it's really just exposing the student to the fact that they have to go train. Had a guy come to our jujitsu gym last night, a friend of ours, that's a high level judo player to teach some judo throws myself included. Most of the guys were like deer in the headlights because he was rapidly explaining very complex things. And he's like, go ahead and try it. And we're like, uh, you know, like in order to do this, I need to go spend weeks and months and hours and hours and hours. So we try to give them something that's useful that they can take back and train, but also expose them to the knowledge that to be capable, you need to invest time. I can't be a capable pilot or doctor or chef or anything unless I go put in time to do it. I think yep. that uh, it's a great point, Mickey. And, and it's not just range time. It's not just, you know, shooter ready, draw fire, but the whole complement of what you're talking about there. And the other part is, you know, you're going to be doing calisthenics with a bunch of guys that comes out real quick. The kind of <laughs> physical me, shape you're in, you know, if yeah. some guys are, have let themselves go a bit and they pay for it. You, you can't run across a parking lot because you physically can't run across a parking lot. And as men and leaders of our family, we should never put ourselves in that position that we can't physically be able to help in, in some instance. So mm-hmm. it, it is, it's, it's a full, rounded picture of being a complete human um, and and being able to operate in a self-defense method that's going to at least get you disengaged from the threat. I think there's like another philosophical side of that as well. Like take all of the self-defense or or the actual like I call them mechanical skills, the the hands-on skills, fighting or or putting a chest seal on or or carrying your loved one out of a fire or you know like doing the the stuff that that boys daydream about doing. How about if you r- really want those skills, you probably want to live because you like living. So why not like live well? And if you truly care about yourself you're going to go learn all these things and buy all these guns and go to all these classes and read all the magazines and listen to podcasts like this if you really do truly care why are you not eating well and sleeping uh like on a regular good schedule and shutting your phone and youtube or whatever off and sitting by a dock and watching the sunset and doing things that are actually healthy for you i say that and people like sometimes look at me like aren't you supposed to be teaching us to shoot things and it's like uh, i mean that's part of it that's that's important but that's you're you're really right and i think you know the more uh the more salt i get in my hair or the more titanium i'm growing up here um you know those things become more evident where when you were younger you didn't put the time in for that, that you're busy, you're doing other things and on to the next thing. But, you know, we've only got one body and taking care of it is absolutely an important thing we have, you know, and it's more than just, you know, there's, there's a lot to it as, as you're alluding to, there's the mental aspect, the physical aspect and how they blend together. And, and then self-defense and being physically fit enough to, I think there wouldn't be anything worse you know, you mentioned a fire, something happens and you physically could not get to a loved one. Mm. I don't know how you recover from that. You know, I have a, a really good friend. That's a detective here in our town. He's a, a power lifter, high level boxer and a grappler too. Very strong. Like I never want to meet him. He's a good, great dude, but he does like those like strongman things where you pull the car and toss the freaking logs and stuff. Like sometimes he used to come here to box and like, we'd have like a smoke fest and he'd go, okay, I'm going to go drive over to the school and push my minivan across the parking lot for an hour. Like what the hell's wrong with you? I bring up a story a couple of years ago, he in his squad comes upon a car fire and there was a, the woman uh, that was a passenger had come to the smoke and was knocked out he gets the window busted out or somehow got the door open 
the car is fully engulfed in flames. He's got gloves. And as he's yanking her out, she's huge, like 350, 400 pounds, something like that. And he was physically strong enough to pull her out of the car. Unfortunately, she had already succumbed to the, the smoke, but he and I had talked about it kind of in private a few times. The skin had degloved from the, from the uh, flesh being burned. And he's like, dude, it took everything possibly I had in me to like just clamp on and pull her out. And he didn't know if she's alive or dead at that point. He just needed to get her away from the flames. And the family was very grateful that there was somebody for them to bury and, and not to be morbid or graphic. But, you know, I thought about that. And that's like a super like wide spectrum instance. But that stuff happens. Could some... 150 pound average build guy have been able or gal been able to do that and the answer is probably no and not everybody can be a power lifter but um, it's amazing how many people I remember doing EMT school a bunch of young kids uh, trying to move like a 200 pound dummy and even some of like the buff jock guys that were just out of high school just the floppy weight of the dummy they couldn't figure out how to grab onto it and it's, it's not that easy. People just assume they're going to like muster the, the courage or the strength or the determination to do it. Yeah. We were on the, I was on the search and rescue team, San Gregorio. Uh, and we had a guy at night fall off the waterfall in this little Canyon. And it's only like three quarters or half, maybe a mile in uh, from where he fell. And we had to take him out on a gurney and he's 350 pounds. Oh, <laughs> you're fine, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah. How so, many of you were there? Well, we had to rotate in. Fire crew showed up so because it was local. So we got to rotate guys in and out. But yeah, you know, two guys couldn't hold them out. No. You know, um, so I guess the moral of that story is we should be rescue a bull. Mm. That's a that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. My father worked for a funeral home for a number of years helping. He was a pastor, so he'd help with the grieving, but he also would help with bringing people back for their their final send off from wherever they died. And he had a hundred stories of people like the you know that big people, and it'd turn into chainsaws and sledgehammers to bust doorways out and stuff to get these people out of apartments and in different you know places that they kind of swelled up in and they and people would like bring food they got too big for the for the doorways but i mean that's at that point it's not a rescue but it just it begs this deeper philosophical question i know rob and i were talking about it when i was out at the summit like um there's people i go train like almost every day unless there's a family thing and i'm not doing it just because i want to be good at grabbing people and wrestling them to the ground, I feel better. I lay down when I'm done and my heart's beating 58 beats a minute. And I, I, I swept for two hours. I can dump last night. I think I dropped four pounds of water out of me in two hours. It's hot. Nothing, nothing makes you sweat like jujitsu. Yeah. And, and I'm not even like trying to sell jujitsu, like go run at the park or get on your bicycle or do yeah, something. But nothing, nothing makes you sweat like that. I mean, you just no, you're bring right. your stuff out. You're right. I mean, other maybe than filling wheelbarrows with lead and running up and down a hill might be the only other thing. But people want to have this capability, whatever the, the, the end goal is that you want to live. So if you want to live, you probably like, like yourself, you probably enjoy living. Why are you living off cola and junk food and you know all the other things people do it's it's a it's a dichotomy and so i'll watch guys at our classes what they eat at lunchtime and it's just like in my head it's it not and i don't want to sound obtuse but you look and it's like this person can't actually care about self-defense they're not really protecting themselves because they're ingesting a bunch of trash as we sit here and they like shooting the guns. They like the concept of having the gun to, to stop a very singular problem that might appear in life, but they're not really looking at the broad spectrum of protecting this pile of meat. 
And it's such a false sense of security. Yeah. And then then when you're in that, if you're in that physical shape, like you said, um, all problems look like a nail because you've only got one hammer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that, you're going to die anyway. I mean, like Chris Kyle, you can be a super highly trained Navy SEAL or whatever. Muhammad Ali got knocked down. Even if you're this hyper-skilled person you still will die which i don't mean to be morbid but like what else are you doing besides just this gun crap i you know you guys a lot of the people that uh follow your podcast or mine or or others of this this thread are constantly looking at like the dynamic of two humans coming into contact with each other some type of violence interacting they di- dissect it and digest it what they do right what they do wrong what could they do better you know did they get in trouble how do they stay out of trouble okay and then like how do we apply that to our walk through the world and then i'll probably never draw my gun in anger i'm hoping uh and that's like a good thing instead of like constantly trying to just keep going through this same thought process which is a valuable thing to do but i think there's so much more hey mickey what's your background exotic dance instruction uh was my initial uh teaching uh like for adults uh i was a hunter safety instructor for children for a little while worked for the uh, illinois department of natural resources in illinois it wouldn't surprise me that they would let you be around children i'm actually really good around kids i'm one of the oldest of 11 Uh, My parents had 11 kids. Yeah. So I've got six little brothers and four sisters. I've got kind of an interesting background. So I'm not, I do not have some background involved in a tactical community. I didn't serve in the military You know, at the ripe old age of 12. I disobeyed my father when I was grounded, went to a neighbor's house, was out with the boys shooting BB guns and a kid shot me in the face, put me in the hospital for a number of days, took the vision in my right eye and that, um, it was totally a stupid thing. It wasn't like a ricochet. The kid pointed a loaded BB gun at my face and pulled the trigger thinking it was unloaded. And that gave me a very hyper, uh, uh and, and acute sense of firearm safety, um, for the obvious reasons it almost killed me, but, um, I kind of took that forward in life. I own a construction company for a good number of years. I'm a fifth generation carpenter got a brother that is a rock climbing and tower instructor and i don't tell this story very often but a couple siblings of mine and myself in our younger years uh, suffered from anxiety and a lot of it came from uh, some upbringing stuff but also some weird stuff happened i've got two very close uh, family friends that were murdered as uh, young girls, one of them was my brother's girlfriend. This one happened about 12, 13 years ago in the city of Chicago. Her name was Frances Cologne. She was coming home from college. Actually, Obama had given her the Roberto Clemente Award. So she won a scholarship to college and some tweaker came up behind her, popped her in the ear with a, with a pistol and stole like her purse with 20 bucks in it just to have it. And that was the later one. There was one that happened before that, a very dear friend. And I don't talk about this casually, like it's it's not um, something I share to sensationalize or anything of the sort, but a um, girl named Beth, I, I tell the story because I, I, it so impacted the way that I viewed the world. And it's a very common story, not how it happened, but a young person being murdered. 15 I was 15 she was 16 this girl was like a sister to me she was a my my older sister's best friend went to school with her she was at our house every day after school with us on new year's eve and thanksgiving even like she she was around a lot and got a call one day when I was visiting a friend on the other side of town my mom told me she had perished in a fire and I can remember to this day like the anybody that's lost somebody that when they found out that news, you remember how it felt. It was like the first person that was a peer of mine that, that had passed away. So it was not like a great uncle or some old person with the pewter in their hair, like us. Right. 
And we didn't know at the time what had happened, but a neighbor had come to her house. She was babysitting for her sister and uh, had her nephew, who I believe was about 18 months old, maybe two years old, and her were at the house. A neighbor had come over, knocked on the door, a guy by the name of Dale Cowdkey, and let himself in, proceeded to have his way with her, stabbed her, I believe, 60 to 70 times with a small pocket knife. And then with the house on fire to hide his crime, he was a volunteer fireman, which I thought was interesting. The neighbors saw the flames and got in the house and found the child who was unharmed, thankfully, and is now an adult. This was over 30 years ago. But um, she, because of her, her uh, diaphragm being punctured so many times, was unable to scream. She had barricaded herself in a bathroom. And that's where the fire department had found her after they put the flames out. Well, clearly everybody that was on scene knew that she didn't perish in a fire. They kept it quiet. A friend of mine who I met years later was involved in the detective work. And these guys went door to door and they, could, they had nothing. They had no idea who this was. And they started asking people questions and saying things like, God, there's got to be an explanation for this. And people were saying, what the hell are you talking about? There's no explanation for a 16-year-old girl dying. And eventually they get to a door and a guy goes, yeah, you're right. There's got to be something. And they're like, bingo. So they go start tearing this dude's garbage apart. And it was only a few days later. And there's all the bloody clothes and a pocket knife and like the whole nine yards like buried in his, his backyard. I sat through all of the court proceedings with that shithead up at our, up at our county building. And he was this little impish guy. He was a man. He was physically stronger than her. She was 16, but she was, she was a cheerleader. She played like all the sports. She was strong. She was fast. And he was like, I think he was in his mid to late thirties at the time, but he was a little dude. And he wasn't like anybody you'd look at and think like, Oh, that's an intimidating or, or impish. Uh, like somebody that could impose their will on somebody but of course biology he's was stronger than her but i i thought about it over and over like how could this have been different like what could have been different and of course little things don't open the door and who knows if this guy was suave perhaps he was like you know said something nice and maybe she recognized him nobody knows but i i thought about that so much and i it we take so much for granted you guys don't but i think we as a society to how many times evil is right in our face and we don't know that and i i worked very hard to not become uh, i don't want to be paranoid about it I, i'm not i also what i was saying i've worked very hard to make my children and others that i would talk about this stuff with not become paranoid but instead develop tools so that they didn't need to be and you know sometimes you got to be mean i've got a a female family member i don't want to say who it is but gorgeous young girl had a guy follow her she's in college follow her from her dorm to like a walmart follows her into the walmart follows her all around and she now knows this guy's following so instead of like walking to the desk up front and telling somebody or calling 911 she walks back to her car, gets in her car, and she's scared and drives back to her dorm alone and calls her mother on the way. And the mom calls me. I'm like, hang up with me. Call the cops. You know, like, I don't know where she's at. She's but like this kind of thought process. And I'm getting off track of your your point, but this is or your question to me. But there's a reason I brought all this up. Like these things that happened in my life as a young man kind of steered the way my brain worked. And just having those bits of violence uh, touch my life kind of changed the way I viewed the world as a, a as a young person. So I began training and in, in investing energy in different areas to, to learn some of the things that that uh, we talk about. And one thing always leads to another. I was very blessed to have some super great mentors in this space. Uh, and I think I have a, a knack for teaching the stuff some of it i try not to you'll never see mickey doing uh, night vision or room clearing or things like that you know i teach the stuff that i that i know and have a, a skill set set for but um, i think oftentimes there's too many people that try to make this stuff something it's not most of it's pretty basic
I think that was a, I think it was actually a really nice direction to take that though, Mick. Um, there's so many people out there that have this overwhelming fear of the what ifs and are so locked into, by God, I'd, I'd shoot him in the face. I'd do this. I'd do that. Um, without any other thought to, to developing any other skill sets, having any other thing to go to. Mm -hmm. It's just such a big freaking deal. Um, and for you to have been exposed to those things and not been overwhelmed by them, but to, to somehow go the opposite direction and become mindful about things like that and deliberate in your preparation um, kind of separates you from, from the sheep. I I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm, I'm No, I get it. And I don't want to also claim some victimhood or nothing was done to me. Right. I'm not like, I'm not like a, um, a veteran of something because somebody I knew was murdered. It just, I grew up in a beautiful, sleepy suburb, an hour and a half outside of Chicago, one of the largest dairy producing counties in the in the region. You know, it's idyllic farmland. That stuff didn't happen out here. I mean, to this day, there might be a murder every couple of years in our entire county. It's a pretty uh, relaxed and and safe place. So, um, it. I mean, it was a big deal back then when that all happened in the early nineties, it was that like consumed the, the County because it was just such a horrible thing. Nobody, everybody's used to seeing gang violence in inner cities on the news. Everybody's used to seeing high rise fires in old cities. Nobody's used to seeing teenage, uh, unfortunately race, race related, a white, uh, young girl in a, rural area brutally raped and murdered that stuff just doesn't happen that often so it i think it, it shocked it shot it was shocking to so many people yeah. but you know the that everybody's always looking for i call it looking for like the sexy thing last night at judo there's dude showing the footwork you know you're a judo guy rob so like he's showing what's important but guys are like yeah 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 show me how to flip the guy where it hurts and he's like but you got to learn and he's showing us this footwork against the wall which basically looks like goofy dancing and so we're doing it but it's like this looks stupid this is not fun show me where i get to slam the guy and it hurts and i hear him break fall and everybody looks and it looks like i want to see that and that's like people come to me or to people that do things that I do. And they say, yeah, I want to learn how to, I want to learn how to draw and shoot five rounds into a, a paper plate at 25 yards in two seconds. And I go, do you, you know, like, what are you trying to do? Well, I have a family. I want to keep them safe. You got exterior lights that are on motion sensors. Do you have the bushes trimmed around the window? <laughs> you start asking questions. I don't care about any of that crap. I want you to show me how to shoot a shotgun down a hallway in the dark and take a dude off at the knees. But do you have like good locks on your doors and maybe some cameras that alert you? Do you have a dog that even if it's a little one that will bark to get you out of bed? No, just show me the, how to set an AR up that I can do these cool things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's the way they drive. It's just, they think that's going to be their solution. And, and we know it's not. Show me the sexy thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the, the part that nobody likes to hear is all that stuff. Even if you're a great shooter, a really violent person doesn't, isn't going to wait or allow you to deploy that weapon. Really a, somebody skilled in violence is going to wait till you're tired or, or looking the wrong way or sick. I mean, we've all had the flu or something where you're, out and about and you're so out of your mind just trying to get to your car to get home so you can plop on the couch you're not even able to think about what's going on that's what the bad guy's looking for is that guy the person that's and that's not when you're ready to do the high speed stuff yeah i don't get sick well and you know the other part is is 
you know, I've, I've trained and practiced combat sports and martial arts and in wrestling and for decades, 104 years <laughs> or hundred one on a hundred and uh, that's still a, 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 an exercise that is bound by rules and confined. And, and I kind of know that if you got you and I are just rolling and we're going to do some jit stuff and just train there on the ground. Um, we're, we're respectful of each other and staying within the confines of, of that sport. Um, same with judo, same with wrestling, same with boxing. Um, whereas an assault is an ambush, mm -hmm. not ready and you're not warmed up and you haven't stretched and, and, but, but those things also can develop a mindset for us that, yeah, you, you stun me for a second, but I, I recognize and, and all of a sudden I engage and I'm, I'm assaulting back, um, because it's not a sport anymore. It becomes mm -hmm. something that, that I'm going to respond with overwhelming violence. That's just the way it is. It, if you attack me, I'm going to attack you. I have a it, good buddy that says, if you, if you touch me, I'll touch you back twice as hard. Yeah. That's like, that's what he, like it. That's nice. was, go ahead. I said, that's nice. It, it's just one of those that you, you have to, you have to develop that kind of mindset. I mean, you can you can do that, like you. You're sitting sitting there in your in your home office, kick back on the couch, and and you can mentally do prep stuff right there. And it's things that go in concert. They work hand in hand with the stuff that we're working on on the mat. Mm -hmm. um, I, I learned that Oklahoma State's head head coach for wrestling is John Smith. He he grew up in in the small school district where I went. He was my little brother's age. And I remember John talking at a at a clinic one time that we were putting on and talking about mental preparation. And this was back in the 80s. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. But he started talking about uh, competing at a really high level internationally kind of competitive levels where your body just won't withstand the beatings that it takes to get all the way up there. So instead of doing it with my body, a lot of times I'm going to have to engage my mind and, and get that perfect practice and repetition mentally. Uh, and when he taught us how to teach our kids to do it, it was amazing because we went from a really, really good program to a dominating program, like in a year and a half. I mean, it, the switch was so fast. Um, so, you know, when I was running the police academy, I did the same thing. I'd really get into scenario-based training, mental training, mental imaging, because I can, I can answer this call in the car on my drive over there. You know, I'm already thinking through my whole scenario and the situations mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, my buddy, Jared Reston tells when he does, does his speech on the shooting. If you guys don't know who Jared is, you should check him out. He was shot, I think seven times first round punched him through the jaw and exited out his neck. Mm -hmm. And that was, he'd been involved in other shootings after that. He went 10 more years on the job, full-time SWAT cop in Jacksonville, Florida, and that County down there. He tells coppers, I've killed a million men a million ways a million times. And people hear that. They're like, oh, you're a sicko. But he's doing exactly what you're talking about. If this happens, I'll do this. If they respond with this, I will do this. I, Cooper used to talk about that. He did one of his famous recorded speeches was him talking to a class down at Gunsight. And he had is explaining to the students that this guy's across the table and he thinks that this might be a bad guy. So he has decided if X, Y, Z happens, I'm going up soup, salad and alls getting dumped on the floor and I'm going right across and going to clamp down on the guy's gun hand. Cause I can see his hand moving towards his gun. Did you ever hear that speech? I have not. 
but it's it's just like it's the same thing you're talking about like he's sitting eating but he's watching this thing unfold in some foreign country and he thinks the guy's moving his hand towards his gun ends up nothing goes wrong but he it decides if it gets any closer whole table's going over and i'm just grabbing his gun hand and then you know that that melee would ensue from there and he knew the guy on his right is going to probably shoot into him and he can see the guy on his right blading to not put rounds into the table full of other patrons but it's i mean that's like a pretty specific instance but i talk with our students about this stuff all the time in the capacity of if you can't imagine yourself sitting on a park bench or whatever your daily life is who sits on park benches anymore i don't know and being ambushed and then fighting through it you probably aren't going to fight through it if it ever happens to you if you can't sit and imagine being on your sofa and hearing the front door get blasted open and the wood splintering and the the lock getting kicked out because some guy came and drop kicked your door open and that and then your response after that you're probably not going to survive. Or one I always talked about with my kids, when you're sound asleep and the smoke alarm goes off, you know, what do, what do we do? And it's, we all do this in school or wherever b- buildings and stuff, but we're so conditioned to ignore alarms or like, we don't want to think like door comes flying off the hinges. Oh, there must be an explanation for that. There's no good explanation, but we can, we don't have proper responses conditioned to the stimuli. Right. Yeah. Your coach, like what was the, pr- the process? So you learned a skill, you physically knew how to do it. So you, I'm, I'm assuming in order to be able to mentally practice it, you had to be able to physically exhibit the correct skill, right? Yes. <clears throat> but we could do the same thing with, with a draw stroke and side alignment and first round on target. I mean, I can, I can get those reps here. Um, mm-hmm. I snapped in a trigger on a gun, making a, a trip out to Tennessee with my brother one time. Got a brand new pistol. I'm, it, it's something I want to move to. I got a brand new holster for it. Well, I've got thousands of repetitions coming out of my old holster with my old handgun. Um, and that, obviously it was duty related. It was, it was when I was a cop um, and my brother still is a cop, but it's one of those where I have to have that comfort with, with that equipment that it becomes just autonomic. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I defeat the retention features on this particular holster or anything mm-hmm. like that? It just becomes just, you just come clean and it's not a big deal. But it was the same way with learning because I went from a Glock to a SIG and learning the difference in, in that trigger. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a double action, you know, I was, went to a, a P220. It, was, it was, had a long trigger on it, that first double action stroke. Uh, and I just wanted to be where I never had to put thought into it. Um, but to get to that point required a lot of thought. Um, but once I had done those initial repetitions, I'm also able to do those mentally without even having a gun present. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Um, I I interviewed a dude a couple months ago. That's a multi-time Olympic biathlete mm -hmm. and, um, now runs part of the biathlon program for the U.S. team. And one of the main things I wanted to talk about with him was what you're talking about. And he talked about how he would, in his mind's eye, laying in bed, unsling the rifle, mount the rifle, put the magazine in, charge the handle, see the sights fall on to the to the uh, target out in front of him. He'd feel the trigger pressure build and feel the recoil cycle the bolt you know and he'd go through that he'd unload the gun re-sling it on his shoulder stand up and feel his thighs pumping and feeling the snow moving underneath the the skis and hear the crunch like the most minute details right yeah it's cool it, it is cool when we started teaching our kids that 
it would be, you know, we've, we've got everybody in the room knows, a, knows a high C to a double leg finish. And we would just turn the lights down in the room at the end of practice. You know, we've got all of, all of our live wrestling done. We've got all our drilling done. We've got all our conditioning stuff done. And now we're, you know, we do a, a post-workout stretch and then shut the lights down and give me five minutes. And we just have them, have them just lay, just relax. I need you to, to, to play this movie in your brain. And it was step by step by step perfectly. Um, and their, and their, their image was to see them completing this, this technique flawlessly. Um, because you're, you're also putting that, that measure of confidence in your brain. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the biggest deals with guys that roll or, or do stuff like that is, is you get kind of trapped in that. What if, you know, God, that it's right there, but, but what if he, what if he gets my neck? You don't know. What if he gets your neck? Um, one of my favorite training partners ever was a guy that came out to the, to the Academy with me and worked a couple of classes. And we had, we had a, such a good experience with each other that, that we kind of went to get out or go out. Somebody gets your neck or gets, you know, gets a collar choke or something like that. Work your way out of it, find a solution or you're going, you're going to go to sleep, Mm -hmm. but you have to have that measure of trust with that, with that training partner that I know that you're going to take care of me. You know, I'm going to take care of you. Um, And yeah, I, I went out a lot. (laughs) <laughs> he came up with chokes from left field that i just never saw coming yeah and, he, and he'd always he was so soft-spoken and he he he'd, he'd giggle at me you okay <laughs> yeah i'm great thanks a lot uh but to be able to have that kind of lab space that you can that you can test yourself improve yourself to that kind of length mm-hmm but, but it requires a good deal of faith and confidence in the people that you train with as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you could just get an app for that. Yeah. Yeah. You show me the app. It's on, it's on your phone here. I practice my phone does it for me. My phone does 10,000 repetitions a day for me. So there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> that the stuff we're talking about, I've talked to fighter pilots, uh, your friend that we just met, I'm sure he would attest to it. I've got numerous buddies I've talked to that were fighter pilots. Those guys that I've talked to have told me stories about sitting in a room, even holding hands. One of them told me how they held hands and talked through whatever's happening. I don't know all the pilots speak, but they would verbalize like, okay, Rob's climbing to X number of feet, banking to the right, such and such speed and degrees. Mickey's coming up behind him and they like talk through all of that stuff. It, it makes so much sense and people talked about this stuff for years, but it's, it's not sexy. It's dancers do it. Musicians do it. Doctors do it. Medics do it. Firemen do it. It's like people that are successful. I know salesmen definitely that before going to a sales call, run the whole thing through their head a hundred times. I've heard people that are great orators tell me one guy told me that he would imagine the applause of the crowd in the laughter at his jokes and like would smile as he was imagining them laughing at his jokes. And you hear that you're like, this guy freaking nuts. Like some dude sitting alone in the bathtub, like in a hotel before a speech. And he's imagining the crowd laughing at his jokes and then him smiling at the imagined laughter. And I'm sure he went out there and then nailed it too. Well, and that's the thing is, is you make it sound like absolutely across the board, everybody does it. I mean, in different fields. I know exactly where you're going. And I was just going to, going to insert the really successful ones do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're really successful. Yeah. Why they succeed. So. Yeah. I'd rather, you'd rather see the thing. There's this, like in the, this space again, that we're talking about, there's like various schools of thought. 
you've got to be a grandmaster level shooter or you suck. Well, I don't have 30,000 rounds a year and the time to do it. And I don't want to, well, you're going to die. Well, that's stupid. Cause there's a million stories of a mom protecting her kids with grandpa shotgun or a 38 snubby. So like that throws that out the window, but then you've got the other end of the spectrum or maybe on that same thread, you've got guys that think you've got to be a black belt and have 10 MMA fights under your belt to be able to physically protect yourself. But then you've got folks that are like, well, you're never really going to know until you're in that moment, what's going to happen. You're never going to know. And I always tell them like, I wonder when the last time you flew, if the pilot was like, I'm never going to find out what it's like to fly till I do it. You know, So let's just load up all the passengers or the surgeon just starts cutting. I'm never going to know what it's like. Like that's just ludicrous. But at the very least we can create a internalized response I have a student that I've worked with a bunch that always would say, we've got a course handout and I show uh, a bunch of case studies of people being shot and fighting and winning after being shot. And we talk about who they are with little couple paragraphs on the, the case and uh, folks hear it and they cringe. I'll show pictures you know, maybe like of the guy or gal after the fact shot up the, the victim that won. And this one person had said to me, I just don't think I could, I could fight if that was me. Like if I felt that bullet enter me, I go, you're right. You're probably, right. Yeah. You're, you, you will die. You you're gonna, quit with a hangnail. Yeah. So I told him you should sell me your gun and gear right <laughs> now. I'll give you 50 cents on the dollar and go get us lunch because you're wasting everybody's time including your family's just get the hell out of here and what do you mean i go well, you've already you're telling me that you you're not going to do it i had a so phil the question about my background i was involved in the firearm lobby for years i was with a state rep you were about to say something it looked like rob or phil oh, go ahead good involved with the firearm lobby i'm down with the state rep a number of years ago tiny little lady mother of i think five our state was the last state in the country to pass any type of concealed carry law, Illinois. So this is right around um, the time of McDonald versus Chicago. And I'm in the office, her office in our state capital with two dudes. I was the smallest of the three and I'm not a big man. I'm like six foot, 190 pounds. The other two guys were significantly bigger than me and she knew us personally. So I wouldn't have done this to somebody I didn't know, but I was like, Barb, we need your support on this bill. Like you, you gotta help us. You're from my district. We help get you elected. This is what we want in our district. We need your help. And she's like, Mickey, I'm a school teacher. I'm a mother of five. I just can't understand why people need to have guns like walking around in the world. And I was like, so I closed the door to her little crappy cubicle size office in the Capitol. And I said, all right, I'm going to rape you. She, and she knew that this was just me painting a picture. And Matt is going to hold your kids down and beat the shit out of them while I'm raping you. And we're going to tell you that we're going to rape them too when we're done. And we're probably going to make you watch. And Eric, he's just going to sit over there and film the whole thing because we're sick. And she, you know, she's like, ah, I'll kill you and I'll freaking gouge your eyes out. And like, we got the mother in her to come out a little bit. And of course the gun isn't the solution to everything, but this little five foot, 110 pound lady isn't doing anything against three grown men right. without the weapon. She voted in favor of the bill, but she had that same mindset. She said, I just don't, that was one of the other things she said. I just don't think I could ever point a gun at another human and pull the trigger. So then I told her the little sick story and she's like, yeah, I'd kill all of you. I'd, I'd end you in two seconds. Yeah. Cause now there's something that's on the line that matters. She anyway. shot you so much. You died last week. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. But that's, I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. People don't really invest. We start every class, every single training I ever do. I start out. What's your goal? What's your goal? Rob, why are you here? Phil, why are you here? And 99% of the time, well, I want to get better at shooting. Why? Well, to protect myself, or I want to get better at shooting. I want to be more accurate. Okay. What's that look like? 
well, I'd like to be like more accurate. Like, like what you want to hit a barn a thousand miles away with your snub nose. You want to be able to hit a fly in the air with a rifle 50 yards away, like define it. Okay. I want to be able to hit that target over there. Okay. With what gun, how fast, how many rounds, you know, in a second, just, we start to add defining metrics. And I don't think people define much of anything in their life. You get out of bed, you go to work, you go through the motions of life and you don't try to define the things you want. You're either, you're just searching for some uh, level of happiness to satiate whatever the, the day's bringing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it, it's one of those that, that diamonds are created under pressure. You don't, you don't just. Well, so, so are hemorrhoids. <laughs> so um one of the things you were talking about mickey guys got shot fought through it i mean there's a culture and generally younger than us that those kids never got in fights on the schoolyard you know they got picked up and from school, taken to school. They didn't have to walk home in the heat and there's a bully and a skateboard, whatever. You know, they didn't have anything in their lives where they had to physically fight through adversity. And, and that's, it's great that they had a life like that, but there's so many suburban kids that have just been absolutely pampered, never had a bloody nose. And so you're saying, you know, to fight through the bullets, it's like, they, they never been punched in the nose. You know, Mike Tyson always says there has got a game flight till you get hit, game plan in the fight till you get hit. And it's a realistic thing. If somebody says, here's what I'm going to do. And, the, and then, you know, they're walking down the street and they get a, one of those guys sucker punches them from behind a total ambush. You know, so many things can happen and to fight out of that adversity, you know, it, I guess you can't just dial up a mindset. I mean, I was act, joking about the app earlier, but it, it has to be something that you realize is a necessary tool in your life that you've got to get up off the ground. I, I remember an incident I was involved in um, where other guys had baseball bats and, and when they hit me, I knew if I didn't get off the ground, I was the ground. I mean, that was it. If you did not get off the ground, you were pounded into a flat tortilla. And that wasn't a good day. So, you know, the, it it's that mindset of like the mama bear coming out, you know, oh no, it has to, you have to find that in yourself. And if you haven't been punched in the nose yet, go get punched in the nose. You know, find I think that it. there's, um, I think there's more to it than that. For example, I don't sure. skydive. I got a brother that's an avid skydiver and teaches some, a certain aspect of it it's very rare for guys to get a cutaway situation skydiving. It's happened to him before. It's not something that happens that much. And it's not something you would set up. You wouldn't set somebody up to have to pull their reserve and 50, 50 die, but they all, and my brother did his thing was if this ever happens, if this ever happens, I will remain calm if this ever happens i'll think through the problem if this ever happens like you guys have heard uh coach lou holtz what's important now when right i every student we talk through them with that and of course that's applied to business and sports and, and medicine and all points in between but maybe you don't need to be punched in the nose i've never done a lot of things until i first did the thing and i think i'm working with a guy right now doing some stuff for one of our businesses and he keeps telling me why we why we need to like ease into something like that we're working on i'm like i don't need to ease into anything in this capacity like what we're talking about i've done for 20 years go do it go do it and if you can't then give me the keys back and i'll get somebody else to go do it so to speak and it's it we had a talk the other day it is his mindset i think he's scared to fail and he goes, well, what, you just want to like go out there and just like, what? and I'm like, what mess it up? Sure. Like we, you even getting punched in the face. I mean, I can also learn to not get punched in the face. Right. I mean, you're going to get punched in the face. I've, yeah, I'm always, I'm the guy that when I come into the gym, I always take a handful of paper towels out of the men's room because <laughs> my nose bleeds so easy. 
But I guess, I guess my point is, is like, how do you develop that mindset without the conscious effort of developing the mindset? You can't, because you could be exposed to all the bad stuff and without injecting a specific uh, angle or slant to how you uh, are, are reacting to said events in life, you can become jaded and angry and bitter and you can become fearful. You can get all kinds of bad responses while getting punched in the nose too. Yeah, well, there's got to be other ways to to at least have the mental toughness to overcome adversity. Do you think some people just are born without mental toughness? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Absolutely. What do you think, Phil? Well, I think uh, I would defer to Rob with all his training experience where they're trying to bring that out on people. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. He would he would know. Have either of you guys read uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl? He was, uh, he, was in, he was in Auschwitz. He was a, uh, I believe he was a neurologist and a psychologist, but don't quote me on that. He had the presence of mind while watching all the people he loved die at the hands of the Nazis to catalog what his feelings were and all of the graphic details. The first couple paragraphs are just like the brutality of Auschwitz. And then the rest of the book is how he, he, he knew he'd tell himself, I'll survive this. I'll survive this. Even watching like everybody he loved and the people that he became friends with there die. He knew he'd survive. And he knew there has to be something that comes out of this that can be beneficial to future people. And he, I think he lived into his nineties uh, after that, but well, well worth a read for anybody that ever uh, wants to expand. But I remember reading that. I thought what, and I don't know the answer, but maybe you, you, Rob, want to talk about it. Like what made him have that kind of intestinal fortitude and the ability to not just fight through it emotionally, but physically when he's 80 pounds and emaciated and dying and then be able to like compartmentalize that and go on with life. But all, not all the other people, but so many of them couldn't, you know, muster that. Dude, I, I wish there was a way to identify that. Um, I, I've had to, I've had to fire kids in the police academy because we could not elicit a survival response from them. Mm. Um, so you in in training, they weren't saying, "Crap, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta fight back." They just like balled up. Oh yeah, like like fetal position, just completely quit, just give up life, hmm. and, and and actually being being kind of mean to them, um, which is it's just one of those things that people that haven't been involved in those kind of training scenarios wouldn't understand, and they would think you're just being completely evil. Um, I'd rather be mean and help you identify the fact that this is not for you, then allow you to go out on the streets and die. Um, or have somebody else die because they're counting on you. Because of you, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and like I said, I, I've got a brother that's still on the department. I wasn't going to put him in, in position to have a partner like that. Just wasn't. Um, I, I, was gonna, I knew I was going to go back out and be a cop when I was done training. Wasn't going to have them be my backup. Um, but to, to take somebody that is really passive like that. And it's like, okay, let's see how far we can press and shut their air off and just smother them and, and just be just kind of, kind of ruthless with them. And when they just give up, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, dude, we can't, just can't yeah, do it. You I'm ain't not, got the stuff. I'm not going to do that to your parents. Um, but the other thing that I always noticed in the first, first class I ever saw this in was my own academy class is anybody that is going into a profession like that, if they should be there anyway, is going into this and you're, you're evaluating your classmates the whole way. You know, this guy's kind of a fat body. This guy's this, you know, that There's guy's a funny guy. Yeah. 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 Um, 
but you kind of think in your head, well, I'm looking at, looking at Joey over there. Joey's probably going to be a pretty good street cop. He's kind of got it all together here, but I'm looking over there at, you know, at, at Bill and I, yeah, I'm just not sure that he's cut out for this. And then you get out on the street and you see that there's so much difference in the way people respond in a scenario where they're in a safe, sterile environment. And yeah, it's hard and it's rough and we're training really hard, but nothing is really going to happen to you. So they're just, they're all stars. And this guy over here is really just kind of, he's doing what he's got to do, but he's not really shining. Um, and then they hit the streets and that guy that was the rock star in the academy suddenly vapor locks and, and doesn't really handle business like you thought he was going to based on his performance in a safe, sterile environment. And the kid that really was just kind of hanging back a little bit is a rock star. It was like that with every class I ever trained. And I trained nine different academy classes and big classes. Mm -hmm. so you just don't ever, you never really know absolutely. Uh, you get some guys in that you know are going to be no-miss guys. Uh, you know, he's a really good friend of mine, one of my training partners. Brian Piccolo was a all-American wrestler at Michigan State. Um, after he got on the police department, we he's the one that got me into really into competitive judo, into training really hard. Um, and we actually got Brian on uh, the 2008 U.S. Olympic team um as an alternate um so you know that guy he you know he's he's brilliant he's he's very very intelligent he's he's athletically gifted more than the vast majority of people you'll ever have the opportunity to even meet um and is really trainable really coachable so we you know, he, he makes the, the SWAT team and he's a sniper. And I mean, his skill set's just whatever mm -hmm. he tries, he's a success at. Not everybody is like that. Sure. Uh, but, you know. The world it, needs ditch diggers too, as the judge yeah. from Caddyshack said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. It's a true statement though. And so, my dinghy's bigger than your whole boat, as Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> said. <laughs> oh, you get a free bowl of soup with that at? <laughs> <laughs> looks good on oh. you though <laughs> oh my god well i think that's that that i think sometimes we hold ourselves to like a false standard where what you're talking about you and i were talking we've got a i've got a guy at our gym that was a division one football player and a high level wrestler and he's it was a, he's probably close to 300 pounds so he's physically he's an athlete right and he's an athlete that's used to being in violent smashing encounters with big men so me 100 pounds less than him like it's i'm not doing anything to him that hasn't been done to him a million times yeah. we've got a d1 kid that's a wrestling coach i was telling you about rob the other night on the phone like i love training with that dude because it is like it's like a, you ever see one of them hot saws that uh, the chainsaw championships, it's like a freaking snowmobile motor. Like that's what it's like. 150 pound little machine. It's like a hot saw. Like this kid like lets it loose and you're 900 steps behind how fast he's moving. Not everybody's like that. And I, that's to your point. I'm never going to be like that. I haven't spent my life at that level of athletics so I don't look and go, why can't I do that? But what I can do is go, these people walk among me. So how can I deal with that? So I come onto the mat with a concealed pistol is what I do. <laughs> I, I do. I'm, I'm known at my gym as being a black belt in, in a Glock Keto. I have thought about showing up with a handful of cayenne pepper and doing like the, the ninja toss of some powder to his face, you know, and then taking him out at the knees. I thought that'd be funny. Yeah. It'd be really funny. Until he gets 
just start pepper spraying him. Yeah. <laughs> but we we look at that stuff though and we go why like we look at jerry mitchell like oh man i want to do that well jerry's also got like like many other people at that level a higher reaction time faster faster muscle twitch fibers and all that stuff and at that point it's just fun like that's not you don't need that to save your life that's just you can't cool. you can't move your finger eight times in the second no like shooting and hitting a target just to move your finger eight times mm-hmm Nope, just won't, just mine won't do it either. All right. Well, Mick, I thank you for jumping on with us today, brother. Um, I am really excited about getting out to Tennessee next week. It's been a little yeah, It's going to be awesome. I, I am so excited. I fancy myself a little bit of a cook, so I'm anxious to see what your chef has for us. I've had your meat. It's delicious. <laughs> um. What do you got post Nashville? What what is your upcoming? Uh, let's see. The next class after that is the great state of Michigan. We've got a couple in Pennsylvania this year, state of Florida, Washington, New Jersey. We've got one we do at uh, Princeton PD's range every year up in Princeton. About half of our stuff is sold out for the year. So anything that we've got is at carrytrainer.com. Also a selfless plug to gunfighter gun oil. That's our. No, our gun, absolutely our gun business. great stuff. Yeah, we we got gifted some of that, and it is not a selfless plug. It's just it's just good juice. So any anything keeps my stuff running good. So I appreciate that you guys took the time to chat with me and listen to listen to in a little bit. It means a lot. I know you're busy, dudes. Phil, what do you got coming up? Well, actually, I'm going to have Mick on my show, Firing Line Radio Show, uh, in two and a half weeks. Yeah, twenty sixth, so, right? Yep. Right. So we'll be uh, we'll be exploring a little bit more of of mixed mindset, and I'm looking forward to that. So that's awesome. Excellent. That'll be a good show. Well, guys, we appreciate everybody tuning in again. We look forward to having you again next week. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can contact me directly at rob at ccwsafe.com. Uh, appreciate you again, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.